Hey, it's Johanna Masca, and this week on Press Advance, we take a look at the state of Nevada. Nevada votes early, and Nevada is actually a state that both plays in the presidential election because they vote early in the primary slash caucus, but it also matters because it's a swing state. And so Nevada should get a lot of attention. I wanted to talk to someone who knows the state inside and out, John Ralston, who is the CEO of the Nevada Independent. He has been a journalist in Las Vegas, Nevada, covering politics for more than 30 years. So he gives me the lay of the land. John Ralston, thank you so much for joining me on Press Advance. Uh, Of course, you know my colleagues. I know you've been on David Pluff's podcast a number of times, and I just have always found your intelligence just really on point. So grateful for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Nevada's going to vote early. You know, I, I was part of the Obama campaign, started in Iowa, and then I went to South Carolina. So I missed Nevada. And I have serious, you know, FOMO. (laughs) I didn't get to see the fun that some of my other colleagues, I know Paul Tews, Mitch Stewart, some of them were down in, in Nevada. It's an interesting state. I mean, I have family in the Reno area and you guys become both a swing state and an early state. So people should have their eyes in Nevada. What's going on? This early in Nevada, who's actually playing right now in the Nevada presidential primary, first on the Republican side? Well, this is why I call it the We Matter state, as you know, because we are both an early uh, primary state and a swing state. And so we usually get a lot of action, but usually not quite this early. We're still, as I said to someone recently, the Rodney Dangerfield of states, right? Everybody knows about Iowa, New Hampshire, and even South Carolina, but Nevada, we're way out west and there's slot machines on every corner and you know there there are brothels down in downtown Las Vegas all these uh, clichés that happen not to be true so we're kind of this weird place and i think that plays into it uh, a little bit but what's going on in the republican side this time is there's been you know almost no action uh, here at all so far uh, again not just because it's early Uh, Although we did get a visit from Larry Elder, and I don't want to downplay that. That shows how important we are. But uh, seriously, DeSantis came out for an event with his pal Adam Laxalt, the former attorney general and failed Senate and gubernatorial candidate. They were roommates together at the Naval War College. But he's only been here for that one visit. And now they're they're, uh, packed never back down, which is chaired by Laxalt, has essentially stopped knocking on doors because they think the state is rigged for Trump. And they think the state is rigged for Trump because, and you see this in some other states too, the whole state party apparatus is full of these MAGA types. And so instead of following the state law, it says there has to be a primary. We switched from a caucus state. You may recall we were a caucus state when Obama first ran here, and that is actually a great story. We don't have to go through that history, but Hillary actually won the state by five points. And then suddenly I realized afterwards that the Obama campaign understood the caucus math so well that you guys actually got one more delegate than Hillary. And that was a harbinger of things uh, to come. But uh, you're smiling broadly because you remember that fondly. And uh, it really was, it really was quite a time. And uh, Pluff was a genius at that kind of stuff, as you know. Yeah, no, I remember very well. Because 
our whole thing was caucus math, delegate math, understanding what we needed to win. And that has been fascinating to watch because you're not wrong. The Trump team has been stacking, racking and stacking, making sure that it's an easier path for them to win the nomination. But how does the delegate math play out in Nevada? Have the Republicans finalized it? Because it's October, they have to finalize it by, right? Well, this is a little bit complicated. I don't want to get too much into the weeds. I'll save that for the Pluff Weeds po- podcast because, you know, he wants to talk about the numbers. But the bottom line here is this, there's, there's this civil war in the Republican Party here. And the chairman here of, of both the state party and the county party, the biggest county party, Clark County, where most of the population is, as well as a national committee men. Uh, these are people who were engaged in the phony fraud stuff in 2020. A couple of them were fake electors for Trump. They're dedicated to Trump. So they have decided to have a caucus where the delegates will be apportioned. It's still, they, they can do whatever they want as a party, but there is going to be a state-run primary that was decided by the legislature. And so there will be a primary on February 6th. But what the state party has done is essentially said, we want you to pay us $55,000. This is to the campaigns to participate in the caucus. And the caucus controls the delegates. And if you participate in the primary two days earlier, the state mandated primary, then you will not be allowed to participate in the caucus. So they are totally stacking the deck in every possible uh, way here, which is one reason why you've seen DeSantis' campaign now out in the open publicly stating what we here know, which is they rigged this for Trump, the chairman is a Trump puppet, All, all, all the things they're saying that are true. The interesting thing about the delegate, Matt, though, is this, and I hate to say this, but we only have 26 delegates. That's not that many delegates, right? And the way these things work, as you well know, is that you want to build up momentum in the early states, because if you start to build up momentum in the early states, then other candidates will drop out. And that may be more important. And the primary is going to get a lot of attention, have much bigger participation, obviously, than the caucus, because every Republican voter is going to get a ballot through the mail. And so the question is, do some campaigns just decide, we'll do the primary. We don't need the 26 delegates here, but we want the momentum after Iowa. And we still don't know exactly where they're going to go. But after South Carolina and New Hampshire, which right now is on the same day as Nevada. Wow. So essentially, the Republicans have already said, have a primary, sure, but that doesn't count. But we know for momentum's sake, it could count. And the other thing, John, I keep trying to figure out is California is early this year. We're Super Tuesday. We're voting. Now, if any candidate gets more than 50% of the vote in the state of California, they're going to get 100% of the delegates. And I don't know if you remember, but for us, when we were running against Hillary, we got less than 50 and she got more than 50%. So that would have given her the runaway advantage very early because California is such a delegate rich state. Well, they're going to be voting because of early voting at about the same time that Nevada and South Carolina are voting. So it's I'm trying to figure out how does that star, let's say a Nikki Haley gain steam because she did well at the first debate. How does it actually translate? I guess they could play 
in the primary, they could play in the caucus, but they just have to pay the money and then people have to show up. So they really need a get out to vote, get out to caucus strategy. And they don't have any staff in that state so far. None of them. And I do want to emphasize, and I know people don't like to hear this, and you can imagine I get called from the national media all the time what's happening in Nevada, is it is way too early to tell exactly what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, this thing is either going to be a runaway for Trump or something weird is going to happen in Iowa, and then maybe something weird is, go- is going to happen in New Hampshire, and the whole calculus is going to be readjusted. I don't think you or I know whether that's possible. And if we had to bet money, we would bet that Trump is going to be the nominee. However, this obvious stacking of the deck by the state party here is dissuading, I think, some of the other candidates from participating here. And they can't make a decision to be in both because, as I said, the state party has ludicrously said, you cannot participate in our caucus where delegates will be apportioned if two days earlier you participate in the primary. So their name can't even be on the ballot for the primary if they're going to be in the caucus. That's correct. It's, It's not a caucus. I'm still conditioned to say that we have a caucus here. But yeah, the, the Republicans are running their own caucus this time, uh, and they, they have no good explanation for it, except some of them will say, oh, we don't trust the state. There could be fraud again, et cetera. And they're making fools of themselves. And, and there's also started to be some national attention on this from some outlets writing about this. And there's been some commentators saying that, you know, the Nevada Republican Party is cutting off its nose to spite its face and the way they're doing that. And they're going to have no influence now over anything. But if these just small cloistered group of people who this little, you know, MAGA cabal, all they care about is pleasing the master of Mar-a-Lago, then they don't care about any of that, right? They should. Their job is to care about that, but they don't. They care about pleasing Trump because too much of that base, right, and and too many of these so-called leaders have become part of a cult. It's truly out of a movie and nobody's paying attention to it because for whatever reason, we don't get coverage on this very, it's insider baseball, but it matters very much in terms of people's right to decide the nominee. So it sounds like basically Nevada Republicans who care about a candidate that's not Trump, which my family, I have a lot of Republicans in my family, and I was surprised this this weekend to hear so many of them who had been supporters of Trump say anybody but Trump. But if they are those people and the Trump contingent is determining their caucus for Trump, their votes will not matter. How do you think that'll affect the other races that matter very much for Nevada Republicans. They've got a Senate race that's pretty important with some different candidates they're trying to play in, and then House races. Yeah, you know, uh, again, as part of the We Matter state, as I like to call us, we have a marquee Senate race. Uh, we did last time. You, you remember Senator yes. Catherine oh, Cortez-Mastos yeah. determined control of the Senate when she survived against Adam Laxalt by 8,000 votes, less than 1%. Laxalt is so interesting to me, John, because he grew up in the D.C. bubble, but his dad, of course, beat Harry Reid or his grandfather. And it was his mother got pregnant with a staffer 
of her father's. And that's who Adam Laxalt is. He's the offspring that he wasn't told who his dad was, as I understand, for some time or... His dad was longtime Senator Pete Domenici. And what actually happened is, you're right, he grew up in the D.C. bubble and then moved here. Uh, and very soon after he moved here, his mother revealed this whole story. And it was immediately thought by cynics who do what you and I do, uh, follow this stuff. To, well, she's paving the way. She wants to get this out of the way before he can run for office in Nevada, which is why he came back to Nevada. And sure enough, that proved to be true. But Adam Laxalt, I, I told people this last cycle, and I told them in 2018, he is an historically terrible candidate. He's terrible with people. He's terrible with the media. He, he's just, he's not a good candidate. And He's about the only person in the Republican Party who would have lost to Catherine Cortez Masto. And so it's possible that, that she would have run a different kind of campaign. But, you know, this is a guy who's on tape saying Roe versus Wade was always a joke. And they actually had the audio of that and they played it over and over again in ads. How is our Democratic Party in Nevada doing? I mean, obviously, this should be an opportunity, but given all of the concerns around Adam Laxalt, it is a little surprising that we were still so close. <laughs> Ultimately, how is the Democratic Party actually doing locally? Well, I, I think the Democratic Party here, which was, you know, totally revamped about 15 years ago by Harry Reid, and he brought in some uh, great operatives, and it's still run by some of the same people, and they've those that have left, um, uh, in fact, one of the people who was part of it, uh, Alana Mounts, is now was in the White House, and now she's going to be the Biden campaign's ballot access director, very talented young operative. And Rebecca Lamb, who is a, a name known to insiders, but almost nowhere else, and by the way, she likes it that way, is the architect of the Reed machine, and she's still around. And she is the main reason that they were able to win those races last time. You know, they don't have Harry Reid anymore. He was a fundraising juggernaut. And as I like to say, he used the party as a legalized money laundering operation to essentially funnel money through there and, and get voters registered and then to the polls. You're shaking your head. Not, none of their folks like that term either. But but that's essentially what it is. <laughs> but, it, but it's true. And that's the problem, John, that I have, you know, having lived through it. Like, I have a problem with how much money plays into politics and then ultimately policy. And, you know, it's growing up in Galesburg, Illinois. It's like there's a lot of people who feel left behind because there's not necessarily any real people options that they have sometimes for elections. So has the Harry Reid establishment found real people politicians who actually connect on the issues or not necessarily? Well, I mean, that's a difficult question to answer. I mean, politicians are people too. Yes. But I, I understand what, what the question you're asking. You know, it's funny because... Um, Jackie Rosen was a nobody. You know, she was the head of a synagogue. She's a real person. She's now has she become more of a politician? Of course, but she she was a real person. I give them credit for finding her. I mean, Stephen Horsford and Dina Titus, who were in two of those congressional seats, are essentially career politicians. Susie Lee, who holds the swing district and is probably the most vulnerable next time to a fairly good Republican candidate, I think, you know, came into this game late, although she's been around politics to some extent 
through some of her activities. But, you know, they, they have found some real people to run for the legislature here. But the legislature here is a completely different story. It's part time. It meets every other year and they pay them nothing. So, you know, you don't always get the best real people uh, to run for those jobs, right? Well, and when you get them, they end up getting paid by someone else part-time and have all sorts of conflicts of interest. I think that's That's one of the untold stories because, you know, too often it's the presidential election sucks all the oxygen out of the room and we're not paying attention to the thing that matters the most, which is our local and state elected officials. The issues that matter right now in Nevada, what are what are people really worried about in Nevada? Well, I mean, I don't think it's that much different than anywhere else. You know, our economy cratered worse than most because it's essentially a one-trick pony and uh, the casinos were closed during COVID and that was crushing. And it's been a long road back. And we still have the highest unemployment rate in the country, even though it's very low now. It's somewhere around, I think I don't have it in front of me, but 5% or so, but it had gotten up to 15%. So I think there's still a lot of people, it's the perception thing. You see this in all the polls, even though there could be a case made that during Biden's tenure that the economy has gotten significantly better. People don't see it that way. They just don't. And a lot of people don't feel it that way either. And so you can uh, do some things with that if you're an opportunist. But I think it's mostly the economy. It's the educational system here, which has always been troubled, not properly funded. And there's a big debate here now going on about school choice that the new Republican governor started and the Democrats blocked in the legislature. And so education and the fact that it's underfunded and there's not a lot of accountability is a huge issue for people. Here. Hmm. You know, it is. I think there's a lot of anxiety as a parent who had our kids shut down for COVID. You know, our generation is going, oh, my God, you know, economic worries and then the worries of our kids getting the right education. It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And especially in a state that has it's just so unfortunate that the Republicans have so maneuvered this caucus slash primary process, because I really think that people, you know, they are in the mold. They want a fresh new leadership. And if you've got people in there who are going to vote for one person, regardless of anybody's vote, then you're not going to get fresh new leadership. And then that may just get more people more frustrated. The abortion initiative, I heard something about them trying to put abortion on the ballot. What's the likelihood? So um, this is interesting because uh, here in Nevada in 1990, a referendum passed that essentially cemented the 24-week statute uh, into law in a way that it could only be changed by a vote of the people. And so the right to an abortion is safer here than most places, but it's still been used as an issue, of course. And the Democrats, Catherine Cortez Masto used it brilliantly against uh, Laxalt, and it was used in a couple of the House races as well. But this time, the Democrats in the legislature, they control it, have decided to try to qualify a referendum to put that 
into the state constitution. Now, you can argue whether or not that's really needed. They say, well, it's not always going to be a pro-choice state. We can't take the chance. We've got to make it more difficult for anyone to change it. And I understand that argument, but this is much more of a here's a way to really get out the vote in 2024 move and 2026 because it's got to it's got to pass twice the way the Nevada works. You have to pass something twice to get it into the count. So it'll be a factor, and assuming they qualify it, and I think they will. By the way, that referendum in, in 1990 passed two to one, and there's no evidence that the character of the electorate here on that issue has changed at all. And so I think they'll qualify it, and I, I think it will be a benefit uh, to Democrats. And the Republicans who learn how to skillfully navigate that or uh, evade it are the ones who will survive. And I think it's going to save some Democrats and probably cost Republicans uh, some races. Hmm. It's going to be interesting to follow. Last thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I saw this and I thought this was super weird. 2022, I think it was. Robert Tellis, who was a local elected Democrat, was accused of killing a reporter, a Las Vegas Review Journal investigative journalist, Jeff Gehrman. And I saw this and I am a huge advocate for freedom of the press. Regardless of what they're covering, I want them to have the right to cover anything. And evidently there was like a, maybe an accusation of an affair or something. And then there was a murder. And this is shocking to me that it didn't get way more coverage at the national level. Yeah, it's absolutely horrific. He's uh, an elected public administrator, which is a local, very local office. It's not partisan, but the fact that he happens to be a Democrat has been exploited by some people who have nothing better to do. But the fact is, is is that uh, Jeff was investigating this guy for some time and had found out not only stuff about his personal life, but some stuff that had to do with the office. By the way, this case has not been adjudicated, so Tellus has only been accused of this crime. But there's a tremendous amount of circumstantial evidence. And, you know, it it occurred at his house, at Jeff Cameron's house. This guy was stalking him and just attacked him when he walked out of his house is the accusation uh, here. And it's just, it's gotten some national attention, but you're, you're right. I mean, just the whole issue of the danger that journalists face these days because of the atmosphere that's out there that's so toxic. I mean, it's one thing to have people yelling at you or even in an obscene way on social media or in your inbox. But this, a politician accused of murdering a journalist, that doesn't happen every day. This is just absolutely awful. And I do hope that the trial gets some coverage because to the point of freedom press, our right to free expression, it is critical in this country. It is under attack in so many ways. And I hope that we're paying attention. No one should be suppressing freedom of speech and most certainly not someone by the means that they did. My God, it is... We got some problems, John. We do. We do. It's just a a horrible thing for this whole community. And just because it was just, you know, it wasn't like he was shot either. Not that that would be that much better, but he was stabbed over and over again. Guy 69 years old. Just awful. Just horrible. I'm a political contributor with News Nation. And News Nation, as you know, has a bunch of the local stations and they have actually been doing tons of trial coverage. So I wouldn't be surprised if I do see 
News Nation covering some of the trial, which is interesting. I mean, the privacy concerns that you just raised, what right do people have to the information of a former investigative journalist? This is all of the issues that actually do affect our rights and what we'll see in future generations. So hopefully it'll get coverage. Yeah, I hope you're right. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. This has been just fascinating. This primary slash caucus thing, that's just so absurd. It's such manipulation. It's absolute, complete manipulation of a system. Michigan was another place they were trying to do a caucus. It's dirty. It's very, very dirty. Yep. Yep. Bad news. (sighs) Well, thank you so much, John. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm really grateful to John Ralston for all of his information about this election. It's going to be interesting to see when the national media catch on to some of these things, including this pay for play for the Republican caucus. That's wild. As you know, on this podcast, we work to respect, empower, include. So for all of you who have feedback, please find me on social media at Johanna Masca and follow Press Advance wherever you get your podcasts.